So normally we're mic'd up, so this week I have to use it and I have to look at my slides and my notes, so let's see how that goes. Oh, and we're also recording on my iPhone, <laughs> so we're all over it here today. Um, so, yeah, you'd almost thought we'd planned it, that we'd give a financial report and then talk about generosity. <laughs> but we actually didn't, well we didn't, um, it's just the way the values went. So, um, as many of you know, I, um, I work as a therapist and after your first session, every session begins with, so what have you done differently, or thought differently, or changed since we last talked? Um, and I think it's really useful because otherwise therapy just becomes, I come for an hour, I talk, I feel better, and nothing changes, I don't do anything different. And I was thinking about that yesterday and I thought, last week I spoke on the gospel of grace and us being a community of grace. And I guess I'm proposing to you at the very beginning, what have you done differently this week because of last week's talk? What have you thought differently? How have you behaved differently? Because if we are disciples of Jesus, then we are disciplining ourselves to follow his ways and to live in this world as he did. And so each week when we hear a message, um, hopefully there's something in it that triggers a thought with you that calls you to more Christ-likeness. So as I said last week, I spoke on grace. And this morning I want to revisit it and maybe add a little bit to it. And then I want to look at the biblical template for welcome. Um, and I want to look at the word becoming flesh, what we call incarnational theology. And what that is, is just basically that we are followers of the ways of Jesus. And then I hope to apply it to us as a community on this street, in this city, right now. So, that is where we're going. So I guess when uh, I was talking with someone afterwards on what is grace, and I suppose if we think about grace, and we talked about it last week, Grace, there's two parts to it, but if we live fully aware of the grace of God in our lives and in our hearts, the natural outpouring of that will be that we'll, we will be a welcoming, hospitable and generous people because we are aware of the grace that we have received. And so the work, the, the sole work that is required is for us to live in our identity as the grace-filled followers of Jesus. So grace itself, it's a quality of the nature of God. We talked about it last week, about the ken, about seeking favour in the eyes of another. And it is a quality of the nature of God and it's undeserved favour. It starts at the cross in that exchange that we have and we receive the undeserved favour of the Lord. As Brennan Manning describes, I am the one that Jesus loves. But it's more than that. It's so much more than that. And if you look at the story of God through the Bible, if you look into the New Testament, it is, just, it is mentioned 124 times. And Paul, in his letters, mentions it 84 times. And he talks not only about the quality of the nature of God, but is also the influence of the work of God in our lives. That is how grace is outlived. So grace helps us to have capacity for our work, to be obedient to the ways of Jesus who we follow, and also to the days when we are suffering. His grace is sufficient for me. 
His grace is sufficient for me. If we think of Hebrews 4, 15, 16, grace to help us in a time of need. 2 Corinthians 12, his grace is sufficient. It makes power and weakness. Romans 11, 5 to 6 talks again about how we cannot earn grace. It is not by our works, but by the grace that we received. So grace is not this fluffy thing that makes us feel good about ourselves. Just. It is actually, it transforms how we do our relationships, how we do our community, how we do our households, how we do our church, how we do life. Because we are following the one who lived it. I ended last week kind of inviting us to think about the God that God will be to us as we preach him to others. So if we spend our days preaching judgment on others, that is what we will reap. And I summarised a quote that I've held in my heart since I first heard Philip Yancey speak it, probably 25 years ago. You can choose to stand in the river of grace and grace will surround you. Or you can choose to stand on the ground of justice and justice will be afforded to you. And so, Redeemer, as followers of Jesus, we need to choose the lens of Christ, of love and compassion, and look at the adulterous woman and help her discover her own goodness through the eyes of Jesus and find a way to become a disciple and to sin no more. We talk in this community, and we've talked a lot in the last year about having a bandwidth of grace, and we choose welcome. We are a fully inclusive community where all are welcome in all aspects of church life. We don't all need to agree the same things, but we seek to practice the better and to have a bandwidth of grace that we choose to stand in. And I choose, and we should choose every day to stand in that river of grace. So, where does that lead us? If I choose to stand every day in that river of grace, and if I work out of my grace-filled heart, I almost have no option to live as a person of welcome, of generosity, and of hospitality. I want to now look at what some of the wisdom from the stories in the Bible offer us. Hebrews 32, or 13, verse 2, will come up behind me. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have, en- have done this have entered angels, entertained angels without realising it. And of course what is being referenced there in Hebrews goes right back to Genesis in chapter 18 and 19 where Abraham and Lot entertained who they thought were strangers and turned out to be angels of the Lord. I want to read this passage on hospitality. I'm going to pause on the idea of hospitality to strangers. A stranger is someone who isn't the same as you. So you can walk out of this building today and you will meet a stranger to you. They don't make sense to you. You don't understand them. You don't understand their journey. And if you show hospitality to them, if you invite them into a relationship with you, if you share food with them, if you hear their story, they will perhaps be an angel of the Lord to you. And I could recount story after story, as many of us can, of when we have taken what I call a relational risk and developed a relationship with someone who was alien to me. And suddenly they have brought me to Jesus in a way that I had never even imagined. And so I want to invite us to think about that. 
I want to invite us to think what Jesus told us. Matthew 25. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And so, Redeemer, we have the option. That is what a hospitable life looks like. That we, we look for those who are on the margin. We look for those who are hungry, who are thirsty, who are naked, who are in need. And we get alongside them and we do it not because we're going to get kudos for it or we're going to feel good. That might be a side issue. It's because it is the call of the way of Jesus. And when we do it to them, we do it for him. What greater call have we got than to live in that way? Romans 12 verse 13. Be eager to practice hospitality. Be eager to practice hospitality. And so I now want to think about how we saw the word became flesh, incarnational theology, if we think about the way that Jesus walked on this earth and what he taught us. He didn't speak grace or welcome or hospitality. He didn't have to. He lived it. He was grace and hospitality and welcome, walking about in leather sandals. If we go back to what we said last week about Bonhoeffer, and I love his wisdom, he talks about cheap or costly grace. And what he says is, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, without the cross and without Jesus. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Because to live the way of Jesus and to show grace and welcome and hospitality and generosity will cost us. It is costly. And I personally think that giving your money is the easy bit of being hospitable. And it's the easy bit of being welcoming. And it is the easy bit of generosity. I remember about 15 years ago we started to sponsor a couple of girls and one of them is now an adult. And in all honesty, the easy bit was the direct debit that went out every month. The costly bit was stopping to write a letter to remember who they were and what they were doing to follow it up. And to our great shame, one of our girls wrote to us once and said in her letter, if you wrote a little more often, we'd have more to talk about. And it, she, I loved her feistiness, first of all. I loved her feistiness. I love a feisty girl who says it like it is. But we were deeply shamed. Because actually, any of us can give money. We're not doing very well here at the minute, but we can. And it is the easier part. The harder part is to give of ourselves. And... We still kind of giggle about her writing to us in a deeply embarrassed way that we then did something very different. And she now is at college and that is amazing. And we've seen her through all those years of education. But we probably missed out on a lot because we didn't give enough of our time and our thought and our energy. And I own that and yeah, I'm 
Yeah, I own that. So what I'm trying to clumsily say is selling a direct debit is the easy bit. Once it's done, it's done. You probably don't give it a lot more thought. So Jesus, as I said, he didn't speak on grace or welcome or hospitality. He lived it. He lived it. And the life of Jesus shows us the attitude of the heart that he had. He, he created the best wine. He fed thousands with a beautiful meal. The night after he died, he, the breakfast on the beach, some of us hold that as one of our favourite stories. He cooked for his disciples at breakfast on the beach. Example after example of him being with and loving the other, the outcast and the marginalised. The woman who touched his coat, the adulterous woman, a deeply shamed woman, what did he do? He, he clocked her and he made her part of his family. The disciples all told the kids to go away and stop being so annoying, basically, and he said, bring them to me. Bring them to me because of such is the kingdom of God. And on the cross, enduring unspeakable pain, he sought forgiveness for those who were crucifying him. That is grace. That is hospitality. That is welcome. That is generosity of spirit. That is generosity of spirit. Ashley Holmes has written a very beautiful book called Finding Holy in the Suburbs. And it's written for an American audience because she's talking about how do you find the ways of Jesus when you live in um, a fancy house in the suburbs. And I've got a quote hopefully behind me. We imagine salvation and hospitality arriving in pomp and circumstance and social influence, not shared through common means and common people. Yet like most offerings, the widow's might, young boys' loaves and fishes, when small and pacific offerings are given, they are first broken and then miraculously they are multiplied. God's economy is not ours. God's economy is not ours. She also talks about the king. She says that what happens in our lives is that we risk numbing ourselves with entertainment, with food, with distractions. We keep our worlds very small. And in doing that, we don't reach out to the other and we live a lesser life. We were made and we were designed for community. We were designed to live in community with each other. Like a king and a host, Jesus prepares a table in the wilderness. Like a priest, he offers a pure, unspotted lamb on behalf of the people of God for the forgiveness of sins and restitution with God. Like a host, he rains down provision in the desert, nearness when we are lonely, welcome when we do not deserve it. But he is also the offering, the food that the host offers to the undeserving guest. How often do we feast on him? How often do we spend in his presence and focus on him and feast on him? Because when we do that more and more, we become more and more like him. That is God's economy, that he takes our little and he makes much out of it. How do we transform our hearts? I love this quote from St. Augustine. Our hearts are restless until we rest in God. How do we do that? How do we transform our hearts? How do we become like the true followers of Jesus who are known for our grace, our mercy and our generosity? Well, I believe it's through discipline. It's through reaching out. It's through silence. 
and it's through time. I want to put behind me, there is a phenomenal teaching available at the minute by Tim Lackey. It was at the 24-7 prayer conference and Stephen, my technical support, has made it that if you put your camera up now and click on the whatever, you will link it to the YouTube, to the big YouTube. We'll put it on the app after. But if we want to live like the one who was incarnate, if we want to be the way of Jesus in this city, then we have to practice the presence of being with him. We need to commit ourselves, and this is a beautiful teaching that he does on paradise knowing. The idea that spending time with the Lord will lead us into paradise, not in the great beyond, but now, in the now. I would highly commend you to listen to that teaching. I was thinking about what does welcome and hospitality and generosity look like in this day, in this age. And um, I want to tell you a story. I'm sure many of you will know that Stephen and I have had the, the privilege of sharing our home with three folks from Ukraine. They're with us nearly four months now. And I mean, I would say it's been the toughest thing we've ever done and also the most beautiful. And I think there's a spiritual principle in that actually, that things that are worthwhile are hard work and cost something. But my story is not about that, it's about, I got the privilege to see the most phenomenal as, uh, aspect of grace and humanity and hospitality. So Svetlana is living with us and she was happy for me to share this story. And she said to me about six weeks ago, she'd love a little job. She's a busy little lady, she'd love a job. And in all, in all honesty, I thought, I have no idea how to get her job. She doesn't speak English, she's 60, da 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 da. So I prayed. You know that thing we sometimes do? I said, Lord, please, let's get her a job. So, you know when you pray prayers and you don't actually think they're possible? Does anyone do that? Or you pray prayers and just go, help, please. So anyway, about two weeks after we'd had the conversation, our, our door knocked one night, and it was our neighbour Agnetha, and this Iranian lady who lives about two doors away from us. And she said, Stephanie, I've been talking to my boss in the cafe I work in, and she would really like to help. Um, and she'd like Svetlana to come in for a job. So I said, okay. And she said, my boss is a Russian lady. Um, would that be okay? And I said, well, look, I'll talk to Svetlana. And we'll chat about it and we'll see. So we talked about it and Svetlana said, let's go down. So Svetlana and I head to this little cafe in the city of Lisbon. And um, we go upstairs and there's introductions made. And they want Svetlana to wash dishes. And there's already an Ukrainian woman who is washing dishes. But she comes from Belfast and it's too hard for her to get up and down for the money that she's earning. So I introduce Svetlana and myself. And they all start talking in Russian, so I just observe and I'm not really sure what they're talking about. Dear knows, I'd love to know, frankly, but anyway. So they all start talking in Russian. And, um, and then the woman, the Ukrainian woman, who's already washing the dishes, they obviously name her. And she looks around to speak to Svetlana, who's standing beside me with her arm around me, because that's how we rule. And, uh, 
she, they locked eyes. And the other Ukrainian woman, she didn't use her voice. She just was able to whisper. And she whispered the name of her town. <laughs> and Svetlana whispered the name of her town. They didn't speak. They just whispered the name of the town. And they both moved towards each other and started to hug each other and cry. And then the most profound thing happened. The manageress, who is Russian, she walked over. She got in the middle of them and hugged them both. And they hugged her and they all cried. And I stood literally feeling I am standing on holy ground. There are angels all around. I was singing that in my head as I wept. And I watched these three women who could very easily have stood on the grounds of justice, who could very easily have held on to their hurt and their pain and their devastation that they've, they're landed in the city of Lisbon, lovely as it is, but really it wouldn't have been their choice. <laughs> and I speak as a Lisbon person. But they stood there with that Russian woman and they just hugged and cried. And I thought to myself, there is hospitality, generosity, welcome and grace in one visual image. I will take it to my grave. And I thought to myself, for us as a community, think of someone who is completely different to you, who holds different views, who has a position that you don't agree with. And why don't you set aside all of your justice and your judgment and your thoughts and start sharing a meal, start talking, start opening your heart. Because when we open our hearts, the beautiful thing is that they expand and they expand and they expand and the grace of God allows us to do it. And so that is my invitation to you, that in these days as a community, as we walk into a new season, we expand our hearts towards one another and towards everyone, the students, the gay community, the people in the street, the houses up the road. As we expand our hearts, let's give more and more and more. A friend shared a beautiful blessing yesterday on Facebook from John O'Donoghue, and I want to read it. Because sometimes we're not able to hold an expanse of generosity because of our hearts and because of our difficulties. And that is okay to hold them, but to think about them and are we going to stay there? So I want to read this as we begin to, to land at the table. This is the time to be slow. Lie low to the wall until the bitter weather passes. Try as best you can not to let the wire brush of doubt scrape from your heart all sense of yourself and your hesitant light. If you remain generous, time will come good and you will find your feet again on fresh pastures of promise where the air will be kind and blushed with beginning. Perhaps some of you are in that moment and the invitation to you is to keep your heart soft and to remain generous. I want to give some, just as we end now and we come to the table where everything begins, I want to remind us of some of the very simple things that we do as a community 
to show generosity and welcome. There's a story in 1 Kings 17 about the widow of Zarephath. And she had nothing and she lived on nothing. And Elijah told her to bake him a Britson loaf. And she didn't want to because she had nothing. And he said, the Lord will provide. And she never ever went hungry again. Every time she went for the bread, the flour and the oil, it was there. We have a ministry in this community called Zarephath. We have a freezer in that kitchen. We have asked for meals. There's one meal in it. This is the telling off time. Challenge, challenge. How brilliant would it be that when students join us on a Sunday, we could say at the end, if anyone wants to take a frozen meal for this week, we have a freezer full of them. How amazing would that be? As the parent of a student, and I know the nonsense they eat, I would like us to be able to do that. Arthur lived on naan bread pizzas, and we'll not even go to what those are. He was in Falmouth, there was very little else I could do. But what I'm saying is, we have a very practical opportunity to say to students every week, would you like to take something on your way out? We've got food. We should be having to buy second and third freezers, not have one with one very sad, lonely meal in it. Might not even be in it anymore. Farm boxes, you know, you've heard me speak before. We should be upping what we give. £10 is not very much. We are living in a cost of living crisis. And I talked with a dear friend on Friday who had been at an event, Borderlands, talking about what churches in this city are doing to meet the cost of living crisis. And I felt deeply shamed that we are not meeting our basic needs and therefore unable to do more. We need to practice the better, and I speak to myself as well as us all. Last Christmas we did Toy Tales, where we provided kids with, parents with a voucher so they could go and buy the toy that their child wanted, not take what we decided they wanted or what we had too much of, but to give them dignity and respect. We will be launching that again next week. A very simple, beautiful ministry that we can do more of so that a kid gets what they want. So as we, as we come to the end, I mention those very simple ministries that we have because as Glenn said, there is life in this room and there's life out on that street that needs to hear about the grace and mercy and welcome and hospitality and generosity of the Lord and the only way they'll hear it is when we start to walk out and live out of that. That is the call on us. So there's no point in coming every week just to think and listen and feel better. We need to do better. We need to change how we do and show that we are the chosen followers of the Lord who want to make a difference to this city. A dear friend said to me a few weeks ago, I really liked what you said, but you challenged a lot and I'd really rather just feel nice. <laughs> and we giggled about it because she didn't actually mean that. But there has to be a point where we say, okay, what are we going to do? What am I going to do differently this week out of what I've thought about and listened to this morning? And how are we going to change the narrative of this city and the streets around us? So as the band come, Scott and Lucy are going to come up and serve us communion.
The cross is the place where we engage with the incarnational theology, the body and the blood of Jesus. We follow him and we are reminded that he is the one we follow. So as um, Lucy will be on wine, yeah, and Scott will be on bread. So as you come, come as you are, come with your friends, come with your family, just as the began, begin to play, and we will be reminded, as we are every week, that this is the body of Christ, broken for you, and this is the blood of Christ, shed for you. So let's stand, let's worship, and let's take our time.